You are listening to the OWASP podcast, hosted by Mark Miller. My name is Jim Manico. I'm going to be your guest host for today, and I have a very, very special guest who I'll be interviewing, who is Mark Miller, the podcast host of the OWASP podcast. Let's do this. Welcome to OWASP 24-7, sponsored by the Open Web Application Security Project, improving the security of software. With support from the Nexus Community Project, supporting millions of open source developers worldwide. Additional support provided by CatScan from Proactive Risk. Mark Miller, how are you doing today, sir? Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, Mark, back in the day, you know, years ago, I used to do podcasting. I always wanted to do a hundredth podcast. And, I, and so this is, you know, I, I say this quote unquote, my hundredth OAuth podcast. And I, I can't think of someone better to interview than the esteemed Mark Miller. Thank you for agreeing to an interview with me and looking forward to hearing more about you and your perspectives and your history and how it all relates to information security. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, you're welcome. You make me sound like I've got something to say. Let's charge forward and, and see what we got, right? Let's, let, let's give it a shot. So, and I've heard you do a lot of podcasts. I think you have a lot to say. You know, first of all, you've had a really interesting and varied career. You have been all over the map from a military man to information security, to founding companies, to doing a marketing type work. What are some of the more interesting and I dare say quirky things that you've done throughout your career that have interested you? Some of the fun things that I have done that people might not be aware of is I used to be a concert promoter. I had a 950 seat theater in Moraga, California, and I was a program director at the Concord Pavilion, which at the time had 9,500 seats. So in the late 80s, I was really having a great time meeting the people music-wise that I had loved my entire life. I was one of the last big band promoters of the original big bands in the United States. I've done Count Basie three times. I did Woody Herman two or three times. You know, the big band stuff was very exciting for me. Then when you I still have that? Oh, yeah. My 14-year-old, is uh, he's a big band aficionado, double bass player, and he's actually going to the special music school at Lincoln Center in the fall, and he wants to concentrate on jazz, so it did get handed down a bit. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I've got my my 11-year-old girl that's getting into rock and roll. She gave a street concert last weekend. She's playing bass, and it it all goes back to one of my favorite concerts that I ever put on. I I actually had B.B. King open for Stevie Ray Vaughan. I think that was the pinnacle of my career in like 89. I thought, how can you get any better than this? One of the things that I see and hear every time I talk to you or read about you is the whole idea of community building. Can I, can I ask you, I know it seems like a simple term, but I think it's a loaded term. It means a lot of things. What does the, the idea of community, community building mean to you? And what are some of the, the, the big events where you've led such, such activities throughout your career? Honestly, Jim, community building to me 
is helping other people achieve their goals. And it sounds cliche, but it's actually the way I built my career over the last 10 years, is that when we're doing things in a community basis, it's not about us, it's about everybody else. I think one of the things you're referring to is the large community base that I got when I was uh, working in the SharePoint industry. I was able to help people get the exposure that they deserved for the work that they were doing. And I started doing the same thing when I found OWASP. I said, you know what? I could help this group. Jim Manico's already got the podcast. Maybe I can rip it away from him. (laughs) (laughs) And you and I know both that that's not the way it happened. But it's one of the things that allows me to give exposure to the people that are working in OWASP that deserve exposure for their product or their their project, or for the chapter that they're building. And you had the same kind of commitment when you were putting on the series, too. I think community is about exposing as much as you can of the work that's going on and the work that deserves exposure. You know, I think it's almost a similar question, but I see you have a lot of experience as a professional marketer. And can you tell me what you see as good marketing versus bad marketing and, you know, how marketing in information security space might be different from other industries? What are your thoughts in general in that area? I, I think I've got a unique view of marketing because, again, it goes back to the idea that marketing is not about a product or a service. I see marketing as something that you can do to help people solve problems that they're having. And in this case, you and I are in the security industry right now. And if I can help people find the solution to their security problem, you can consider that marketing if you want. You know, I work for Sonatype. We've got specific products, but I know the rest of the products in the ecosystem so that when someone comes to me with a problem, whether it's DevOps or whether it's security, I've got enough of a network put together that I can probably help somebody find a solution to those problems. I think of marketing personally as being a trusted advisor that somebody's going to come to me and say, you know what, I need help solving this problem. What's the best way to go about it? Now, one of the the things that I see, Jim, and I would like to discuss further with you even, is I think that security has been given uh, the perception of having a bad role in all of this. I mean, the security guy is always the one that people are picking on in the cartoons and everything. And, you know, they don't have, people don't perceive them as having the value that they deserve within the software supply chain. So from a marketing perspective, I think one of the things that you and I can do by having voices within the community is show how security can be part of the software supply chain, not as an add-on at the end. From a marketing perspective, what we want to do is we want OWASP, we want security, we want all the things that are going to make the world safe for software to be part of the entire cycle not something that's tagged on at the end. I agree 100%. If I may add, you know, as a professional, I want, as an application security professional in particular, I want to work with, if not be embedded in a part of the developer team as opposed to being, you know, a separate entity, you know. And I think that's very similar to what what, what you're trying to get at here is, 
Because, you know, we don't want to be a separate silo trying to stop people. We want to work together in harmonious ways to build secure software. And it's not easy, Mark. It's, it's, a, very cha- it's a very challenging thing to be approaching. Well, you know, years ago, Gary McGraw started this idea of moving left within the development cycle. And that's really taken root now is the idea that security begins during the conceptual part of the project. Again, we're still only a year or two years away from when we used to just throw the the project over the wall to ops and say, okay, you implement it, and then you run the security on it. We're moving towards that moving left. Let's make security be part of the cycle itself. Am I hearing roosters in the background there? Mark, I, I live on the island of Kauai. There are, with, with, there's roosters. There are ducks. There are par- lots of loud parrots eating my lychee. There are wild pigs. And there's a, a, a cattle farm on the edge of my property. There are cows mooing because I think they, they, they realize that their days are numbered. So, And there's five dogs, my awesome dogs. Hey, shout out to Mahi Mahi. Uh, gorgeous little Terry lives next door. So, yeah, I apologize if it's noisy. No, it's fine. I just, I'm enjoying it. I haven't been to Hawaii in years. I wish I could go back. Where? How did you get sucked into information security? What? Why did you choose Sonotype? Sonotype is your employer. What? You know, what led you down to the path that got you involved in the OWASP Foundation, and and now you're immersed in the information security industry. I know we often talk about developers or AppSec people. Marketing is a c- crucial part of business. And I see you as someone who really tries to bring a lot of integrity to what you do. So this is, even if we're not talking about, you know, parameterized queries, let's not minimize the importance of marketing in this multi, multi, multi billion dollar industry and what's right and what's wrong. And how did you, as one of those marketing pros, get into information security, Mark? So let's do this. How did you? <laughs> you know, I need you to interrupt me along the way here because it's a, it's a long story and you're willing to pop in here and ask me questions as we go. I appreciate it. In, in 2006, a friend of mine called and said, look, I'm going to be on the Charlie Rose show tonight. Can you watch? And I said, sure, I, I'll watch. So I turned, you know, it got to be about 11 o'clock. The show, I think, was on 1130. I was wondering, should I really watch this or not? I'm tired. But I kept my eyes open. I turned it on. And there was Susan Zola Pazner, my friend, who I just knew from coming over to the house and playing piano and stuff. And she was being featured as one of the premier AIDS researchers in the world for AIDS. I was going, holy crap, that's Susie. <laughs> so I'm, I'm listening to this. And then she said something, Jim, along the lines of, yes, we're building a collaborative environment where people can share information, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, you know what? That's not Susie. That's not Susie's language. So I called her the next day, literally the next day, and said, did you know what the hell you were talking about when you were on Charlie Rose last night? And when it came to that collaborative environment, she did not. She said, no, will you come to my office and and show me what it's about? (laughs) (laughs) So that was SharePoint, Jim. It's my first story. I'd never heard of it before. I had never seen it. I walked in, and one of my main tenets in life is if people can ask you to say can you do this the automatic answer is yes and then go out and learn how to do it i learned that i've got a degree in classical music composition and it's one of the things i learned in the music field is can you do this yes i can 
<laughs> and then you go out and learn how to do it. So I built a, a SharePoint portal. Bill Gates had given $267 million to the project so that he could coordinate AIDS vaccine research around the world. So I built a portal for five research labs that coordinated data for AIDS research. It's one of the proudest projects of my life. I still look back at that thing and go, you know what? I actually made a difference here, which I thought was great. But what was missing from that, Jim, is no one was talking about the end user perspective back by at 2007 as the project was rolling out. So I started a site called EndUserSharePoint.com. And that was to feature simple solutions that any SharePoint user could use to actually help their projects, to help track their projects. It was stuff I was discovering every day as I was building out this solution. And somehow that got traction. And I think it was because no one else was doing it. When you talk to developer geeks, when you talk to hardcore coders and programmers, Everything seems too simple to them. They would say, ah, nobody's going to want to know that. Everybody knows how to do that. And I'll tell you right now, everybody doesn't know how to do that. I agree. So I went to the first SharePoint conference that I went to, and one of the things that I went to is five things to get buy-in for your SharePoint site. And it was very interesting to me because uh, she was talking about the uh, Oklahoma Chesapeake Gas Company. And one of the things that she had done is she had said, look, we um, figured out why people were surfing off of our internal network. Why were people going off of our network to go to external networks? And the first thing she found was they were going to check the stock quote because everybody was vested in the company, right? <laughs> so she took a magnet, a weather, uh, not a weather magnet, a stock magnet, and put it on the front of the internal site and cut surfing down by half. <laughs> I said, well, that's cool. So she went through the stuff, and one of the things that she said was, I have my assistant come in 15 minutes early every day, and she puts up a new quote of the day every morning. And I said, well, hell, I can do better than that. So I went back to the hotel room, and in a half hour I'd written a widget that you could cut and paste right into your SharePoint site, and it would do a quote of the day. And so I put that up in end user SharePoint, and all of a sudden all hell broke loose. I mean, it's like the geeks were saying, who in the hell would want this thing? It's nothing but a little bit of JavaScript pasted into the back end. I had over 10,000 downloads of that thing, right? <laughs> so that made me think, okay. So I started putting those little solutions up, and then I found somebody else that had the same type of voice that I had. Desi Lunsford did. Chris Quick did. Laura Rogers did. Mark Anderson did. Jim Bob. Uh, there's so many people, Jim, that jumped on that and said, I've got a solution too. So what had happened is I became known as one of the top influencers in the SharePoint world because of that. I traveled around the world in a group called Sharing the Point. It was me, Joel Olison, Michael Knoll, um, Paul Swider. There was five of us. Eric Harlan was in there, uh, Ducks Raymond Sy, uh, John Anderson. You know, five of us at a time would go. I ended up in Antarctica. I ended up down to Patagonia. I ended up in South Africa. Uh, you know, we ended up all over the world talking about SharePoint like this. Now, getting to your question, how did this lead to security, right? I got a call from Debbie Rosen, who was working with a company called Global 360. And said, 
you know what? We've seen what you've done with SharePoint. Can you do this for us? And she was running a company uh, that had business process management software. And I said, well, hell yes. If I can do it once, I can do it again. So I went, and that company, I think, uh, was worth $90 million when I came on board. And with the work that we did in a year and a half, we were able to sell that for 260 some odd million dollars. So it made me realize that the formula that I have created for SharePoint will also work in other industries. The idea of networking with the right people, providing solutions to the entire community. And I had to tell you, one of the funniest things that ever happened is Joel Olison asked me to come and speak at one of his conferences in L.A. And his boss was there. And they, Joel was working for a company that was building web parts for SharePoint. And so the owner of the company came and saw the presentation I was giving. He went to Joel and said, what the hell is this guy doing here? He's giving away for free what we're selling. <laughs> you know, and that, that's the way I was perceived in that industry. So then I moved into business process management, got out of that. And then uh, Debbie took a hiatus and then she came back and started working for Sonatype. And she called me about six months later and said, okay, it's time to crank it up again. Let's go do it again. So that's how I got into it. Then I started working with OWASP. We saw that in OWASP, one of the things that we felt was missing was a tracking of vulnerable components. Why are people still using components in their software with known vulnerabilities? Yeah, Mark, that's, that's, that's one of my next big questions for you. Why OWASP? What triggered you to get so deeply involved? And, and just because you got involved, you do something that a lot of people get involved don't do. You kept keep, you keep being involved. You go to conferences. You keep the podcast going. You're constantly part of the conversation in some way. So you know, what, what got you involved in OWASP? What triggered you to get so deeply involved? And what influences you to continue, even even when things sometimes get challenging? What what, what encourages you to to have the fondness that you do, and to keep doing the work that you do with the foundation? It's interesting. As I was doing the research on who was talking about security and who was doing what, you know, I found people that I liked. Remember, I said that I found people with a similar voice in SharePoint. I did the same type of thing for security, and I found a lot of the voices I liked in OWASP. I started listening to your podcasts. You know, I was in contact with Michael Coates. You know, working with the people in OWASP, I said, this is pretty cool. This is starting to happen. And so I put together the project, uh, the uh, the Vulnerable Component Project, and then it got picked up by the top 10 and got placed as the A9 in the top 10. So that's what started my foray into OWASP. What I continue with is it's fascinating to me the things that I can do so easily. And I talked to my wife about this a lot. She says, you know, you think it's easy to do, but most people can't do what you do. And I said, well, it's so easy to do this, this, and this, but it's what you just said, Jim. How do you keep the motivation going? How do you keep going? What's the stuff that motivates you each day to get up, to get a new podcast done for the day, to go out and research some more security stuff? I mean, what gets it going? For me, it's the idea, and I know it sounds cliche, and it sounds like I'm just pulling your chain, but I like to help other people get exposure for the work they're doing. James Wicket and I had the same conversation. You know James from Austin? 
Very well, James. There's a lot of work in DevOps, and uh, I'm, I'm a big James Wicket fan in general. He's, he's really good people. Yeah. So James and I were on an escalator in Dallas. I was at a conference last month, a CD Summit and the Nexus World Tour. And James literally stopped on the escalator. He turned around and said, Mark, why do you do what you do? And I, I didn't hesitate at all because the real answer is I get excited when I can get somebody some exposure for something that is well-deserved. I mean, I the, the big guys in DevOps, the big guys at OWASP, they don't need my help. They've got all the exposure they need. You don't need my help for your exposure. Either does the Zap project. They're all great. You guys are doing great. But my place is to take the guy that doesn't have the exposure but is, has a project that could make a huge difference if it got into the right people's hands. That's why I'm with OWASP. That's why I continue the series. I'm still looking for those projects. We had a project. You have to remind me the name of it. We had a project um, at the AppSec USA that, uh, what were they doing? Were they providing a platform for people to do mobile development or something? You know what I'm talking about? It was I, I, I don't actually. Two brothers. Two brothers from Europe. Uh, they come over. I had to look that up to see what it is. But that project alone was worth me going to AppSec USA. Because I oh, wow. found a group that said they are doing something. And it actually made a difference that I was able to record them. We put them on the podcast. They had 1,500 to 2,000 listens. And I said, okay, great. Now people know what that project is. Oh, the two brothers from Amsterdam. Yes, yes. Who's that? Oh, this the security. Uh, the security. Look, I'm looking up right now. Oh, Glenn is my hero. I'm sorry. You know these people, oh, James. Wick- yes, of course. Yes, this, this is this, this is Glenn uh, from Amsterdam, and his brother are both working on this. We have got to talk about this. You know these people, Glenn, James Wicket. I love that these are not just people who are I think are friends of mine or people who I think are smart or or people that I think do good for OWASP. I, mean, I know these people. I love these people. I'd take a bullet for any of these people. These are like, in my mind, really great human beings who are participating in the foundation, you know, for one reason, because they want to like lend support. And what Glenn and his brother did is a project called the Security Knowledge Framework. These gentlemen are both professional software engineers. This is Glenn Tenkate and Ricardo Tenkate from Amsterdam. These are two people I love dearly, and the security framework helps is an information knowledge framework to help you manage um, application security metadata on a lot of different levels. And, uh, yeah, rock on. So that's the perfect example of why I do what I do, Jim, is those guys deserve the exposure. I felt really good coming out of AppSec after that one. Mark, tell us about the OWASP podcast. You know, as as you took the podcast over, made the podcast your own, and are now deeply invested in a lot of work to make the podcast something really special. What's your philosophy? What are your inspirations? Uh, you've already talked about it, but maybe you can go into more about the details of of, of specifically what the podcast means, and and you know, what are you, what are your thoughts around your philosophy there? Sure. I think the podcast is morphing from what we just talked about, the idea of highlighting projects within OWASP. I think one of the things that I see that needs the most work with OWASP 
is the ability to integrate in the rest of the software supply chain. I think that in a sense that OWASP has siloed itself and that what I want to do is pull it out into the public. I want it to become part of the DevOps tool chain. I want it to become part of everybody's software supply chain. I think the dogs agree with me. <laughs> dogs, are, dogs are excited. Uh, there's, there's five of them. They're excited. It's my, my physical security system. It's not so bad. Tell me more what you mean by OWASP being integrated into software supply chain or the podcast being – I don't understand. Tell me more what that means and what that looks like. Like, so Suppose you had an infinite budget to run a production staff to, to realize that vision. What would it look like? Sure. I'll give you a real-world example. It's I, was, I met with the CEO of Trello last week, Michael Pryor. And I did an interview with Michael for the OWASP podcast. Now, Michael isn't per se any part of OWASP, but he, he has the knowledge of the security of Trello and what it took to build a secure platform that would be of interest to the OWASP community members. When we talk about that, then Michael can talk about what his tool chain looks like, how security is integrated into that tool chain. And I think that should be a critical part of everybody at OWASP's lexicon. Everyone should know how security fits into the software supply chain. So you'd like the podcast to be a voice of how to fit security in, the, in all aspects of the supply chain? Did I hear that right? You heard it exactly right. Fantastic. I like that vision. And it's something that you're you know, already actively doing from what I see. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned Wicket so far. You know, I talked to Gene Kim once a month. If you know these names from the from the DevOps world, I talked to Gene, Josh Corman, John Willis. You know, all those people to talk about how do all the players fit together. And so, if I can leave my legacy, if I view down the road, what would my legacy be with OWASP? It would be able to communicate to the OWASP audience that there's value in becoming part of other communities and becoming part of an integrated supply chain. And then I would talk to the supply chain itself and said, and say, look, it's extremely important to be in alignment with OWASP with the projects that they have going on. So it's a two-way street. But my legacy is to make sure that OWASP is part of a software supply chain. Do you have any final thoughts or, you know, any other ideas you wanted to share on this podcast before we finish up? You and I have been around long enough in the last couple of years to see some real problems arise and vocalized on the groups. There are a couple things that I'm concerned about on a personal level. One is I'm trying to figure out a way to make OWASP more inclusive of of females. I mean, we've got some brilliant people working here. It's just a microcosm of the problem of gender in technology. Yeah, it's a real tough one. It's a real tough one. I work with a group called Equal Respect that is trying to hit that one head on. And it's a tough road to hoe because even when we put out call for papers, how do you encourage a call for paper? from women i mean without being reaching a quota system it's a tough one it's really tough the the women's voice needs to be heard i think we just put that dibby edwards from ibm when i interviewed her for owas 24 7 that has over 2700 listens on it 
And there was an interesting thing that happened in Dallas when I was in Dallas. I was giving uh, a panel discussion with James Wickett and Shannon Leitz. And Shannon runs the DevSecOps at Intuit. And she's one of the most intelligent, articulate, emotive women I've ever met in my life. Not just women, but person I've met in my life. And after that uh, session, Sue Hanley came up to me. Sue Hanley is one of the top people in SharePoint when it comes to business management. And so Sue came to me and said, if you can have somebody that talks like that, no one ever sees gender on the podium. And I thought that was a brilliant comment. Here's another project I'm working on for OWASP, which I hope you know you'll come to, is AppSec USADC. The selection committee has agreed that I can put together a DevOps track as part of the uh, the conference. And I was saying, oh, this is great. We're going to get not just overlap, but we're going to get DevOps integrated into the OWASP AppSec conference. That just got me going. That's exciting. OWASP, you said you had other concerns about the foundation. This is a great time to, to talk about it. You know, what else do you see are areas that OWASP, the board, and any aspect of OWASP can be improving and doing better? So, you know, one thing identified is we need to have a, a space to, uh, to ensure that women have a good, good voice and place to participate within the foundation and, and, and more. What, what else can we do? OWASP, in a way, is very insular and only focuses internally instead of what they could be doing externally. I think the integration of OWASP into other communities and to become part of other communities is the legacy, one of the legacies I'd like to leave. So I'd like to leave it so that it's not so difficult for people outside of the security community to participate in the security community to see and show what they're doing to the members. The industry propagates itself. When the software industry itself is moving forward at an exponential rate, especially when you're talking about building software and deploying it into production in a matter of seconds, people are doing it hundreds of times an hour now, that this is the way security is going to have to be implemented. Security is not implemented after the fact. Security needs to be implemented during the process of creation and then monitored and maintained after that project is deployed. If you're asking me for a trend in security, security is going to become agile and security is going to become part of, become part of any type of software supply chain and deployment in the future. And it's going to be the near future, Jim, and the dinosaurs that are building all of the stuff that tries to parameterize security and keep it out. Those are going to be dinosaurs because the software itself, when it starts to be built properly, is going to be a secure environment within itself. You know, and, and the way I dare say, I, I have my own like verbiage for that same concept. I think we're going to see security get pushed more and more into frameworks and be something that is not something you can avoid as a developer, but is part of the core framework around how software is built. And so I, I think that to some degree echoes what you're saying. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you, Mark. I, th- I, think, I think for those folks who really depend upon deploying software, if I heard you right, we're going to see these the ideals of DevOps, the ideals of this real tight supply software chain 
dialed in well. It's a good idea now, but you think in the future it's going to be more the norm, especially across major software developers, that this is hopefully not going to become a specialty but much more common in how everyone deals with deals with software creation. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll give an example here. If you are using pen testing to secure your environment, that's your main source of security for your environment. It's too late. I'm sorry. It's just too late already. I had Kim Zetter come and talk at my RSA DevOps track to talk about the 15 top security hacks of 2015. And it just drove the message home to everybody there that if you can find it, a hacker has already found it. And the problem that's happening now is I think the mean time to remediation on one of these hacks, if you look at the statistics on how long it takes to fix this stuff, the hackers can be in your system for six months to eight months before you even fix the problem. Security and software is with the software itself, not the fences and the defenses that you build around it. Can you dig more into that idea? I think this is important. So you're saying that we can't just assess our way to security late in the software life cycle. We have to do that in a more integrated fashion throughout the, the supply chain, throughout the creation chain, SDLC, and so on. Can you tell me more what, what the difference is between a pen test or traditional test and doing it in a more integrated fashion like you're describing? Uh, is that a rhetorical question? I mean, because I think you already know the answer, right? No, I do, but I think it's a... <laughs> I think I do. This is this podcast is not just for my own amusement. I think it's a, a, a good thing to talk about. It may be a softball, but I think it's an important, <laughs> an important softball to talk about. So softball lobbed your way. If, right. if, you'd li- if you'd like, take a swing. You know, I think Josh Corman said it in one of the best ways that I've ever heard. He lays out a triangle and talks about where the vulnerabilities are compared to where the money is placed. <laughs> and it, it's upside down. It's People are trying to parameterize their way, to defend their way to security through, through throwing money at the problem. When what we could do is exponentially change the name of the game by building security into the software itself. Just because you build something secure today doesn't mean that it's going to be secure tomorrow. Vulnerabilities are found. I mean, Heartbleed is the big, you know, big poster child for this one. This thing could be out for 20 years and find somebody find uh, some kind of vulnerability in it. Now, what we need to do is build the system so that they're safe when they're deployed. Then they're monitored and tracked so that they remain safe over time. And this is completely the antithesis of the way software has been built in the past. Developers were given a budget. They were given a timeline. And if they got that puppy out the door and threw it over the wall to ops, their job was done. That doesn't fly anymore. You cannot develop software that way anymore. The only way that we've found is to be able to build security into the process itself. You and I could talk about that one for hours. Maybe that's worth a roundtable discussion at an AppSec or something. But until we can convince developers that they are security specialists too, that they are part of that security supply chain, then we're fighting a losing battle. 
And Mark, I think this is a really important idea. You know, I translate it by saying, you know, you're building security into the software frameworks. You're building security into the languages. You're building security into the tools used to to build and compile the software. I mean, every aspect of the automation pipeline can, can include security embedded. I think we do that as a specialty now. And I do hope in the future, like a decade out or so, that is more the norm and less of a specialty. I'll... I would I would pony up in that bet that in ten years security is a standard part of software automation at the you know framework platform language and build level. I would take that bet if anybody wants to go there. Well, I would not take the bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God>. Mark, <laughs> I think we covered a lot of ground today. Is there? Anything else you'd like to discuss, or before we before we close it up, what else is on your mind? I think more than anything else, if I could leave the listeners of OWASP with something, it's get hold of me, talk to me if you're working on something that should get more exposure, and if you're in the DevOps crowd, I would say get to me if you want to talk to security people. I've got the contacts at OWASP; we can talk security and DevOps at the same time. You know, Mark, the, the, the last thought from me is that there are a lot of people at the OWASP Foundation who will give you ideas of how to get the word out about the project or work you're doing around the foundation. And, Mark, you're not one of those people. You're different. You're one of the people who are, who is, who is actively helping get the word out about the projects and people at OWASP. And that's the difference. And that's why you know, I really thank you for the work you do at the OWASP Foundation. No, thank you, Jim. You have been listening to OWASP 24-7 with your host, Mark Miller, and music provided by the George Cole Quintet. With support from the Nexus Community Project, supporting millions of open source developers worldwide. Additional support provided by CatScan from Proactive Risk.